Hello and welcome to another episode of the Copcast podcast. It's been a while because we've been shit and haven't really wanted to talk about anything Liverpool related. Um, we we have played sixty minutes of really good football and all of a sudden the world it's the world's all fine again. Um, and I think that that's probably not actually the case. So we'll take a look at that. We'll take a look at some other bits and pieces. Um, where we go from here and I have, I have a full panel tonight I've got um, I've got Jay Reid in Liverpool I've got Andy Bell in Liverpool I've got Neil Patterson in uh, Donegal yes Belfast this week mate Belfast oh Belfast this week yeah. oh, right. very good very good I might catch up with you at the weekend if you're still here yeah you never know oh, well there you go happy days um, and I have uh, Beryl Agus in the Netherlands Beryl let's just kick things off I know we're all in a little bit of a we're feeling a little bit better about ourselves at the minute but ultimately from we beat United 7-0 I think I'm right in saying we've played four matches uh, Bournemouth City Chelsea Arsenal and we have picked up two points and even from those difficult games that is disappointing um, and it's it just I know things were really good against a really good team for an, an hour-ish at the weekend, but it all just feels a little bit like another one of those kind of false dawns that we've been having. Are we back? Have we got our shit together? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't see any reason why all of a sudden we start playing proper football all of a sudden. Yeah, evidence suggests that we won't back it up, right? Um, uh, yeah, we, we started um, not not on our best uh, at, on in the season, and then we had this match against Man City. We won it, and I thought, okay, we're back on track. And then we lost to Nottingham Forest, and uh, you know, and and the seven nil always felt like a bit of a freak show, but at the same time, you know, you we we were good for it. And um, it, it could have been, uh, you know, something that 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 motivated motivated us, uh, got us going, but it, it evidently didn't. Uh, and I never expected us to to uh, to go through uh, uh, the round against uh, Real Madrid. But you know, we, we could have had a better showing than we than we actually did. So, um, and you know, the Man City game, uh, you know, the less said about it, uh, the better, I'd say. And I, I think the the Chelsea game was was even worse than uh, against Man City, but and and when we went uh, you know two nil behind against Arsenal, it, it was it was uh, not even unexpected, uh, and you know the, the way in which we conceded in these really really soft goals, um, yeah, I, I, there was this sinking feeling again. So coming back from that, and and actually you know we should have gone won that game. Um, you know, but with all the chances that we had to to, to score the, uh, you know, multiple winners, you could say, uh, it, it it of course it it does give a um, a good feeling. I, I was I, I enjoyed watching it. I was at the same time fr- frustrated, I, and I mean the second half, of course. But yeah, I I, I don't have the confidence to 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 say or to think that you know from now on we we return to our best and. And we start, uh, you know, roller coastering, <laughs> uh, but in a good way, and 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 winning games again. It's um, evidence suggests 
that this might be just a blip in the right direction, but uh, let's see. Yeah, Chief, it's um, like Bournemouth and City are just uh, like object is doing the lads a compliment. You know, it's just littered with complacency and mental weakness and just a lack of motivation and desire. That's what it looks like from the outside looking in anyway. And we talked about like the half 12 kickoff and our away form is terrible and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Bournemouth, the penalties missed and we never recover from that. City, for me, when they equalise, I think the game's gone. You know, we look decent-ish. Um, we look like it's just going to be a bit of a a bit of a fight, and then they equalise after we take the lead, and and you know we we do that thing that we we've been doing recently, like at the very beginning of halves, we we can see the goal, and then we just go to pieces, and you know this is as much as you might say it's a structural thing um, or a personnel thing, there is more to it than that because these these scenarios that keep appearing at this stage now it's not by coincidence right no you're right um yeah i mean we've, we've talked about it all season that there's a, a combination of factors and you know we've 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 got problems structurally we've got problems in 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 the sense that we were you know perhaps attempting a uh well certainly of trying to evolve this season um, we've obviously had massive injury issues, which have, you know, hampered, hamstrung our efforts pretty much. Um, and we have a mentality issue as well, whether it's burnout, which I, I would suggest it is, and just not being able to go back to the well when, when times do get tough. And instead of sort of the team becoming galvanized, it just sort of falls apart. Um, you know, scarred essentially from or by by last season and and the last few seasons. Um, so we are incredibly erratic in in and inconsistent in in terms of performances. I think Bournemouth was one of them where you just get out of there, get out of there one one or one nil, score the penalty. You know, you you've got the chance. Don't fucking miss the penalty. Um. But, you know, Salah's missed two in a row now. And, you know, we're going to have to start asking a question about who's going to take penalties. Um, because he's he's looked thoroughly unconvincing for a while on them. Um, so that hasn't that hasn't helped, you know, when you're not playing well and you're handed chances to... And you create the chances, you get the penalty, you know, and you're handed the opportunity then to, to at least take something out of the game, if not win the game. Um, you've, got to, you've got to take those opportunities you can't be passing them up as well so um you know the arsenal game was was mental because what we have managed to do a couple of times recently is sort of go ahead and and then when you know you reference city for example it's a perfect example we go ahead and it's sort of a little unexpected but we're good for it at that stage of proceedings and you know typically it's from from a great chance for us to go 2-0 that uh, they break away and um, and score their equaliser. And you're right, from then we were 
we were still in the game first half, but from the minute the second from the second that the second half kicked off, we were we were beaten. Um, we collapsed. It was one of them where you, you, you take a kidney punch and you, you can't um, you can't respond. You just you just drop to your knees. And we we threw in the towel really in that city game. I don't think consciously, but too many players just went for you know just not this again. Basically, we can't come back from this. Um. So, but the Arsenal game was was the opposite because we started off like that. We started off like um, these are these are the champions elect, and uh, we're shit. Um. You know we've collapsed. We're nothing like we were. So here, come on, come on into our gaff and just, you know, have a stroll in the park and and beat us. And then um, the game flips on its head, um, and we're by far the better team, I would say, for the rest of the game from about 35, 37 minutes onwards. And there's only one team that looks like they're going to win. And again, if if Salah scores the penalty, we probably probably go on and, and win that game. As it is, we, we managed to get our, our late equaliser and it's really, really hard to draw any kind of conclusions because you've just no fucking idea. What you can say is that at home, we're at least good for a few goals and we're at least going to put up a fight uh, away from home. All bets are off, really. Um, and in fact, if you are a betting man, you're, you're probably better off um, backing the opposition. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fair. And the, and the you know the, the numbers bear that out. Andy, I just want to come to you on the the home and away thing and, and not even necessarily that but you mentioned Xhaka and Trent scenario um, kind of igniting the stadium and maybe that energy transferring itself onto the pitch um, and we do kind of go from there we score that we score a minute later like literally within like 60 seconds or so we we, we get the the first goal and we just grow and grow and grow from there, and and right from the the, the first whistle um, of the second half, we we, we absolutely destroy Arsenal. Um, and I think the XG is somewhere between four and five, depending on where you look at. That's absurd. Never mind against a team that's top of the league. And I know, and, and I suppose this is the, this is the thing. Is it the fact that are we? too reliant on that those kind of external factors motivating this team because they've just maybe lost a little bit of internal fight after what happened to them last year um, or the other side of the coin is the fact that they can get get up for big games at Anfield. Let's be honest, those are the first points we've dropped this season against the current top four at home which seems ridiculous given the situation that we're in. Is that ma- the other side of the coin? Is is that masking bigger issues that maybe actually do exist, which we see in our away form? Yeah, our home form's actually still pretty good. It's not. It's like, like fourth. 90, it's fourth. It's not it's like good, 90, yeah. 95 points Liverpool, but it's certainly, as you say, just then and more than enough to get in the top four if that's been replicated. Away from home, uh, the problem is it's um, it's not being re- replicated away from home by any, literally any stretch of the imagination. We're behind Southampton and Leicester, I think, in the away table. And those two teams are the, the two teams right at the bottom of the league. It's just absolutely crazy. What is it, 13 points 
from 45, which is genuinely like relegation form. It, like it, that is relegation yeah, it's form. Ga- it is, it's if we had 26 points at this part of the season, you know, if we were matching that at home, um, I'm not sure what we'll the league, league like, would we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll be bottom of the league. It's literally, it's a way form bad enough to be bottom of the league. Um, it's absolutely shocking. Now, it kind of annoys me in football when you you see these people and like everyone on on Twitter is a, a tactical or a, a, like a data analyst now and like these people and these like real sort of nerds at the top of the game. I do still feel like they feel to take into consideration the intangibles, you know, the emotion of a game, the atmosphere of, for example, what Anfield was like on on Sunday. There's absolutely no doubt that these things have a massive impact and there was no, no doubt about it. Anfield wasn't like that all game. It hasn't necessarily been like that all season and it won't be like that for a half 12 Saturday game against, against Brentford when everyone's just got out of bed, you know what I mean? So we can't be completely reliant on that. That said, if you're Mikel Arteta, and like the bizarre thing is, we've all watched that Arsenal documentary where bizarrely Mikel Arteta starts blasting you'll never walk alone through the speakers to try and imitate a game going on at Anfield as if we just like sing you'll never walk alone in the middle of the game. So he, more than anyone, knows the power of Anfield and knows the power of that crowd. And he, he, he I think he mentions in one of his team talks, he says... You know, in that 5-1 at Anfield where we're 4-0 up after 20 minutes, he says, like, you feel like you're in control and all of a sudden you've just got shirts swarming all over you. He said it's the only time in his career he's given up. So, especially after the mistake he made last year in igniting the crowd in what was, like, a fairly stodgy first half hour, which ended, like, an absolute domination, 4-0 to us, for then as captain to go and do that and and waking up the crowd just seems absolutely mental to me. Um I've seen a lot of people talking about their play acting and their shithousery, saying like you would want your team to do that in that situation. And it's in 99% of cases, I would agree. But see at Anfield, it's not worth that extra minute, minute and a half you're taking out of the game. It's not worth breaking the momentum of that individual attack because you just wind that crowd up so, so much. And, you know, we had Martinelli going down when he wasn't touched. Jesus spent half the second half on the floor. And all that happened is it, it created this, you know, uh, what's the word, siege mentality. Um, and we go on from there. I think as much as Anfield can't do it for 90 minutes, I just don't think this group of players can do it for 90 minutes. We've seen it in bursts. We've seen it in certain games, obviously more often than not at Anfield. And you will look at it and people say, it's a case of fight and desire and heart and passion. And I'm not sure it is. I just genuinely don't think they have it in their legs to go hell for, you know, hell for leather for the full 90 minutes, 100% of the time. I think part of that is certain players being over the hill in terms of their careers. I think part of it is massively tied into last year. Um, and, you know, it, it is still encouraging that there is fight left in this team, that there is passion still left in this team, and that they can produce bursts of incredible performance like we would have seen last year. Um but as I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it, needs major surgery if we're to sustain that over a season and uh, and challenge these top teams again. Yeah, I think, Jay, it, it kind of is as much about as much about that internal kind of desire. If you if you look at the teams that are performing this year or certainly have been consistent, Arsenal were decent last year, but they had something to aim for. United kind of the same. It's a, it's 
you know, Ten Hag comes in and, and Ronaldo goes and all of a sudden you kind of feel liberated. Um, Newcastle, you know, they've, they've never been in this position before. They're, they're running around like, you know, a kid after eating three Easter eggs and things like this. Um, and sometimes, and, you know, you can look at Chelsea in a similar sort of fashion. Sometimes it just all becomes a little bit too much, a little bit too tiresome, a little bit too, you know, and once things do get away from you, where does the motivation come from? Especially for players who have operated at like the cutting edge of success for so long. As soon as you start dropping away from from targets, you know, to work towards, it does sometimes tend to just spiral, doesn't it? And again, I think that may be is replicated in the big games or something there. There's pride. It's a challenge, you know, um, and they do get that energy from the crowd. And I just wonder, you know, is your is your mind swaying more towards it is literally just legs that we need, or do we need hunger? If you're talking about signing players, and is the volume of players that we need to sign as much about players that want to come and you know run through brick walls to win things? as much as it is getting more talent into the squad and fresher, younger, fitter boys into the squad? I think, like everything we know, we, there's not one one problem, there's not one solution. Um, like, I think I may mention this like, a, lot, a few times. Like, obviously, the name, the hot name at the moment is Bellingham. We'll get onto that later, but... Jude Bellingham doesn't fix our problems. It might fix one, but we've got like a lot more to fix. Um, and you need a blend of, you know, athleticism, talent, um, hunger. Like, you know, you, you touched on, you know, the the fact that these lads have, have achieved everything in the game. Like there's literally one or two in the team who have, you know, not really won anything with us. Um you know, even like when you look back to last season, you know, we won the two domestic trophies. So they've tasted success. They've been to the big days out at Wembley where, you know, I hand the outsider himself. Like it's it's a special occasion. And as much as Anfield can get raw, because like when we went to Wembley last year, we had the time of our lives. So, you know, it, it isn't a surprise that we get up for the big games. It's worrying that you look back to what, pre clop era maybe and those were the games that we always got afford and we always struggled and it, that was kind of the story of of Liverpool for for a long time especially like you know through through my time watching through like the late 90s the noughties and whatever like yeah we could we could get up and we could win the big games like occasionally you know like Champions League 2005 we can we can do it in, in, on a massive stage but we can't do it consistently and it just feels like you know, there's many things we've gone to the well one too many times, and I think it it's just a massive combination of a lot of things all going wrong at once, and that's not just on the pitch; it's off the pitch as well. I like, I think that's having a massive effect. Like, you know, you're losing people in key positions, such as scouting and recruitment, and you know, other high-profile roles within the club. So. You know, Michael Michael Edwards we replaced him with 
his backup guy in Julian Ward, and all of a sudden he's out of the door for what reason or another after the year. And then, you know, you probably imagine now that Jurgen Klopp and his coaching team have got more control over, you know, talent identification and scouting and recruitment. You know, if, if stories are led to be believed, like, you know, Cody Gapple, for example, was a Pep Linders signing. Well, you know, everything that made us successful four or five years ago was the fact that it, it all come down to presenting to Klopp. We think this player in Mo Salah is better than Julian Brandt because all the analysis, all the statistics that we've done, everything that we believed in, and Klopp was on board with that. And look what Mo Salah is. Julian Brandt is not a bad player, but Mo Salah is a different level to him. And we've gone away from that. And it all looks like, you know, that spiralled out of control, which has then led to a lot of things on the pitch. You know, the ability and availability of players has spiralled out of control. And it's just a perfect shitstorm rather than a perfect storm. Yeah, so I think that kind of brings me nicely on to our first fight of the evening. And, um, yeah. Um, Who's in the red corner first? <laughs> so Chiefs, Chiefs in the red corner. Um, Andy's in the, I don't know, Andy's in my corner. Um, the weird white away shirt corner. Yeah, that that one, that one. I disco corner. Is the, yeah, I want to, I want to call it the the green and white quartered corner because that is the best away kit ever. Um, but yeah, I, I'll nail my colours to the masses. Andy gives me grief about not doing it all the time. Um, for me, Nunez is kind of the, you know, he's the epitome of exactly what you're talking about. Um, with the Salah signing, Salah comes in and, and Klopp, Klopp gives them trust and Salah comes in and does what he does first season and then just continues to be like world class and that builds trust and it looks a little bit like to me, there's there is a world where Julian Ward went, no, this guy, Darwin Nunez, he's your next centre forward. And Klopp's went fine and taken a look at it and went, what What have you given me here? I can't I can't use this player. I can't use this player where I want to use him. This is my Firmino replacement. Are you actually serious? Um, and for all of Darwin Nunez's qualities, I don't really think many of them translate to the way Jurgen Klopp wants his football team to play which is why we see him farmed out on the left hand side because that's really all he can find what to do with him um so you know I think the pecking order um and Andy we'll we'll start with you the pecking order of of the front let's say the five players that we have there where do you see them and why do you see what you see so, first of all, I think it was I think it was Jay in the last part who was talking quite correctly about all these people upstairs who have been changed around or have gone or are going. Um, and obviously, there's that mail ready piece, isn't there, around around January time, where she basically writes a big piece about the I think she used the word brain drain at Liverpool, which was basically the the analysts and the nerds, as I called them, earlier on in the podcast, um, how that's all changed around. And 
if you look at it from, and we'll knock it into this now, but like from a wider point of view, whether Klopp can build a, another great team at Liverpool, one of my main concerns around that is, does he have the same structure in place? Um, I think uh, I think actually we were we're having this debate in the group chat the other day, and somebody else made that point, so I'll not steal that on them. I just can't remember who, but yeah, obviously Michael Edwards left, and and him and Julian Ward were in the, in the job at the same time last year, isn't that right? It was kind of like a handover. And Julian Ward kind of completely took over from this year onwards. So, like, uh, Luis Diaz was was still a, a Michael Edwards signing alongside Julian Ward. Because I remember thinking, I remember being slightly concerned, because obviously, like, Michael Edwards became known as the guy for transfer negotiations. And we, we got, like, almost every transfer right, which is ridiculous. Transfer success rates are lower than 50%. We were nailing every single one, more or less. Give yeah. or take the odd, like, Naby Keita. And I remember that I think being the thing about time, though, Andy, is that when when Diaz was signed, and it was you're absolutely right, it was a bit of a job share then, like a like almost a an apprenticeship or a handover period of a V1. But I do remember vividly that there was a lot of PR around the fact that Diaz was a Julian Ward signing. Right. For me and to that, try did and that build. PR come out after we knew Luis Diaz was really good? Yeah. Or was- yeah. Pretty much right. So you know, if if um, if Luis Diaz didn't hit the ground running as much, would, would be would that be going out? I'm not so sure. So that that's everyone's concern. And like, even if Julian Ward is just like good at his job, that means we're getting so many more transfers wrong post Edwards than we were when Edwards was in the job. So that kind of concerns me. If, if like it's almost unfair to Nunez because if Nunez was a Michael Edwards signing. I'd be saying right now, right, he's probably going to come good, but because he's not, I'm just sort of judging him as what I see right now. And like you're absolutely right, it's it's just the he just seems a little bit too uncoordinated to play centre forward. Hold up play is not quite good enough. There's absolutely no doubt about the kid's raw ability. Um, his pace in behind is absolutely frightening. You know, he makes the right runs at times, and like when it clicks for him, he may not take all the chances, but he gets an obscene number of chances in a game and for me that's not that's not down to sort of luck or even bad play if he's missing them if you're constantly getting yourself in front of goal and getting yourself chances that's a major skill and that's that encouraged me so much in certain games like Villa that first game back um on Boxing Day the first game he comes on against Fulham he's just a, he's just a chance magnet and he can have though he does have that in his locker however I look at Darwin Nunez and I look at Cody Gakpo and I just see like two completely contrasting footballers in every way, shape, and form. If you're being a little bit critical of Gakpo, you know, sometimes he's not just involved quite enough for your liking. And that's maybe the criticism you would have aimed at Firmino. You know, if, if Firmino or Gakpo have a bad game, they can go missing for half an hour. Whereas if Nunez is a bad game, it's because he's missed the nine chances he's, he's had put in front of him. You know, he's always going to going to do that so they're so different and i just think that that gakpo is 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 more of a jurgen klopp center forward and i think that's evidenced by the fact that nunez okay he played a little bit on the left for benfica when you could play there but that guy was brought in as a center forward and was used almost exclusively as a center forward in the first half of the season gakpo as burrell you know will know better than me I mean, he played the number 10 for the Netherlands and I thought he was really good there and I wanted him to play centrally for us. But at PSV, he was exclusively sort of a left winger and it was his dribbling and his his, his crossing and 
I think I believe that were his, his best attributes. So like I even see people now saying Gakpo should be playing on the left. So the fact we've literally shifted one of them, well, shifted both of them out of positions into each other's positions just tells me how Jurgen wants his what uh, Jurgen wants his centre forward to play. Um yeah, what what do you do with it? I'm I'm not entirely sure. I would you know, I wouldn't be wanting to give up on Nunez after one season. Certainly, let's see if they can work it out, and let's see if it all does click. And I'll be more than happy to be made a fool out of if it does happen, because it means we've, it means we're getting bang for our buck. But yeah, in terms of the front five, I would say it's, it's Salah, Diaz, Neil Don. Obviously, we need to make sure that Diaz comes back at the same level. It's Gakpo well ahead of Nunez for that central role, um, and both in terms of what I want and what I think is going to happen. Um, and then after that, mm, Jota's been off form for quite a while now. Have injuries taken their toll on him? I'd personally like to give him another preseason, see if he can get back to his level. Um, and if he can, even he's ahead of Nunez for me um, at the minute. But, there, but there's no doubt, you know, take away the price tag, take away all the chat about him being a flop or whatever. There's no doubt, even right now, even out of form, he can come on, he can have an impact. Um, you know, the first time we really get behind Arsenal. On Sunday there is when he comes on. He fluffs the chance, but he gets the chance. Um, so, yeah, I think jury's out for me and Nunez, but right now your front three sell out Diaz and Gakpo and by quite a distance, to be honest. Look at Andy scaling back. Very good. Um, what about back on? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, very good. Uh-huh. Yeah, very right. good. Voice notes to you are not well, fit for public consumption. I mean, it's, it's, it would be... F- you know, foolish to, to to rush judgment and 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 sort of you know write him off, Dave. I would I would venture. I mean, to be to be fair to the lad, he's not exactly had much football recently. He's you know had an injury. He's been in and out. He he he's been on the bench. Um. So pecking order wise, I mean, Andy's Andy's probably right in in the sense that. Um, Gakpo's come in and and you know he's playing the centre forward role in a way that's as as close as anyone we've seen to how Bobby plays it. He's linked to play well. He can he can drive through that central area. He's come up with a couple of goals. Although as it was referenced earlier, he's he's probably not going to be prolific. But he's certainly um you know very very intelligent on the ball and and looks after it really well. And very very tactically aware, so I mean, if you if you are looking to play the you know the classic Liverpool front three, um, you know, with, with essentially with with a replacement for Bobby, you at the moment you're going to be looking to drop Gakpo in there. But it is mad, uh, as Andy referenced, that we basically swapped them over from their from their previous lives, um. And made Gakpo sort of much much more central and and pushed Darwin out to the left. I mean, I would say that um, he's got, as Andy said as well, he's got all the attributes and he's he's got a fair number of goals already, despite the despite the misses. I also saw that uh, a stat that Haaland's missed more big chances than than Nunes, although obviously he scored a lot more goals, but. Uh, Shows he's had more big chances, and obviously City are creating them at a at a much faster rate than 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 we are. Um, but I still think the dream, you know, 
and it probably is a dream ticket because we've never really seen it yet. But the sort of dream front three, so certainly for for some games, um, would be Diaz left, Nunes central, and, and Salah on the right. And you know, if you're talking about Gakpo as, as the link man, I I don't know how our midfield is going to evolve. I, I I don't really know that any of us do because we need such major surgery in there in the summer. But if we do end up playing a, a ten of any kind or, or someone who can link, you know, and a, a proper attacking midfielder with, with more license to go forward rather than, than track, then I think Gakpo can, can definitely do, do a job there and be really effective there. But obviously if you've got a fourth who's, um, you know, not sort of not, not taken to account Jada at this point, because um, he'll obviously he'll obviously have a bearing on on things as well, depending if he if he can get back up to his level. But I don't see any reason really why he can't. It'll just take him a while. He's been out for for so long. Um, but if you can get if if they're all up and around the level and just offering you something slightly different, then um, then you're laughing really. I mean that's the ideal situation. If they're all, you know, essentially world class, but offering offering different things. Then you can you can sort of go horses for courses, but the thing for me is I just don't subscribe to the idea that just because you can look a little untidy at times and there's the odd erratic finish that Nunez is is crap by any stretch of the imagination, and and that's sort of what's being suggested uh, or has been suggested at least off air <laughs> and by some on air. So that's that would be my position. Like I I think he is going to come really good. And I think we haven't quite worked out exactly how to use him, but it's mad to write him off and, and mad to sort of um, scoff at him, really, I would say. No, look, I think that is, I think that is fair, see, but I think what you said there, I think is really, really pertinent. We haven't quite figured out how to use him yet. And that goes pretty much against every previous Liverpool signing. We didn't sign a good player and figure out what to do with him. We figured out what sort of player that we needed and whether the cost £75 million in Virgil van Dijk or £7 million in Andy Robertson, but we went and signed it, him. It's a, that, that's true. And, and sort of, you know, to touch on what you were getting at earlier with the, the director of football and the, perhaps the, the, the change in, in approach or adaptation of approach. Um, do you think it is just, it was just a key? Because obviously we played them last season. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, whenever it was, and you know he played well against us, stuck the ball in the net a few times, looked class, was having a good season for them. But surely it wasn't just a case of you know here he was good, sign him. Well, you here's know. the interesting thing: it's in in Pep Linder's book. It's he, he says on that Benfica game. Of he releases this after we've signed Nunez, but he does say, um, me and Jurgen said to each other. Uh, after this game, if we sign a striker, we go for Darwin, which I don't know, you know, if that is indicative of Jurgen and Pep Linders having more power over the, the transfers in the new setup. But um, I think that's kind of gone under the radar as well. Yeah, I think this I mean, season is, it, is yeah. just a consequence of injury as to why he is playing. Mm. He He's comfortable coming off the left. We were missing Jota. We'd been missing Diaz for a significant period of time. It was the most natural fit to go out there because nothing else was working out there in terms of like Carvalho or Elias or 
you know, what state chamber and everything up there. Like, you can't but rely yeah, on any of those. Okay, sorry to report here. I know you say that, though. I know you say that, but we literally <laughs> signed a fella who played on the left hand side in Jackpot. And yeah, said, there's no there's no explanation. I don't think it, that we can come up with unless Jürgen comes out and says he is trying to make Gakpo his Firmino replacements. Like, I don't understand why Gakpo doesn't start on the left and Nunes down I think the that's clearly what it is. I think I've heard I've heard mentioned that Firmino is like coaching and teaching him how to play that position the way Jürgen wants him to. So if that's the case, then he's centre forward and we're still without a left sided player. So we've been playing Jota there recently. Well, it'll be Diaz. It'll be Diaz. Yeah, but, but I think Jota's that, best position's on the left as well when he's for the point fit. being is due to injury, Nunes was available, so therefore he was shunted out there. So until they're all fully back and fit, we won't actually know the true answer, will we? Yeah, that yeah, it's it's fair, it's fair. Um, I I would just I think probably one of the most interesting, um internal conversations and fallout of any decision that's been made um, at Liverpool Football Club will be what happened after and when we signed Darwin Nunez. Who was annoyed? Who was upset? Who wasn't upset? Who had had the I told you so moment? Um, it's it's all very strange. And I think the other side of the coin here is, you know, the transfer fee obviously is very, very significant. And if you swap Jack Pose and Nunez's transfer fees. You're probably talking about the two players very, very differently than we are now. But anyway, we will move away from this incendiary conversation <laughs> until next time, probably. Um, or until 20 minutes after we start recording. Um, okay, uh, Beryl, there's been a lot of conversation and talk about let's try Trent in the midfield for literally years now. Um, and none more so than it's happening at the moment. And I find this, for me, I find it a bit knee-jerk. I can see why loads of people would say that, you know, this is a good idea, let's just give it a go um, and see what we get, you know, like, why not? Um, but I think there's a number of factors here for me. Um, I think we we significantly change how we play when we don't have Trent in, the, in that right-back position. And if you've got two Gomez, for example, it alters our style of play massively. Um, I also don't know if... I think there is this conception that just because Trent Alexander-Arnold Alexander can pass the ball better than most people in the entire world... Um, we just assume that he can play midfield, but there are a lot more qualities and attributes that you need to play that sort of midfield role where it is, you know, you've got to be able to turn quickly. You've got to be able to beat men. You've got to be press resistant. Um, is he going to play six? Is he going to play Thiago sort of genie role? Are you getting enough out of him then? Are you going to play him? the Jordan Henderson position on the right-hand side, in which case, what you're doing then, if if he's going to go by any sort of judgment that Jordan Henderson gets, a lot of defensive work in protecting the boy behind him. So, for me, it feels a little bit knee-jerk based on where we are now. Um, but, I don't know, do you think there's merit in it? I don't think you do which is why I'm asking you first, and then we'll come to Jay to argue against you. 
Now, if, if we were to to uh, try to answer the question, can Trent Alexander-Arnold play in midfield? Then we, the answer is obviously yes. But it, you know, I, I think this discussion, this debate, uh, hinges on um, you know on 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 the conception you have, you know, the the idea you have of what a midfielder is and what a right back is. And uh, I think um, Trent has has you know in 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 the years that we have come to know him as as as, as the best best right back in the world, you know, and, and especially we we really do think that. But um, <clears throat> he he was never a traditional right back. You know, a traditional right back is. Uh, and 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 in in the old days, <laughs> they, they were the worst defenders on the team. And if you try to 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 uh, and educate uh, a central defender, then they they would first be blooded in as as a, as a fullback. And and this is you know very much not what he is and what he uh, has been for this team. He was um, a sort of playmaker and and. Someone who gave lots of assists from a position um, uh, on the right side of our team, and and uh, yes, he has uh, defensive duties. And and if the if the, the team that is playing us, you know, the opponents are uh, tactically astute, then they will try to isolate him because that's clearly not his, uh, you know, his 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 biggest strength to to play against a winger. Uh, someone who's tricky and quick and who, who can, uh, you know, and if isolated against Trent, uh, he might come into trouble. But uh, uh, that's not what this position is. And if he becomes isolated, then, you know, someone else is fucking up. This is uh, very important to, to um, you know, to, to uh, get into this discussion before we, you know, try to settle whether he should play in midfield or in, in uh, at right back, uh, you know, uh, nominally right back. Um, I, I think it's important to, to, to look at the positions he takes when we are in possession and when we're not in possession. And, and, and generally, we are in possession. Um, you know, the last few seasons, we have been um, uh, hogging the ball a lot more than, than before. And, uh, and 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 when that happens, then he comes into midfield and, and virtually in a sort of a six position. And against Arsenal, this was um, much more pronounced, but he, he does this. Uh, this is our tactic in, in general. Um, so you might say he already plays in midfield. Um, what, what, what he shouldn't do is, you know, the, the, the typical wingback sort of role, um, just play on in this right corridor and and uh, get up uh, and and down the field and and, and try to to swing it in, uh, cross it in. That's not what he does. He he gives passes and even crosses from uh, much deeper. Um, he tries to get involved in uh, in in um, setting up play, etc. So you know, I I would actually say he he already plays in in midfield. Uh, if we play our tactics right, and uh, and and you're right in saying it's a knee-jerk reaction, um, because in this season we aren't we aren't playing our tactics right, and um, which you know exposes probably every player at this moment. You know, all all of the the players that made us a great team are being exposed at this moment because of everyone lacking uh, a, a meter or a millimeter, whatever it is, but. 
um, and and everybody getting exposed. But if you if you uh, looked at our, uh, you know, the, the first thirty minutes against Arsenal, we tried to to build up uh, again, just you know the way we try. The the central defenders uh, um, are playing more laterally, playing you know uh, virtually as a right and a left back almost. Um, Robertson uh, hogs the line, but Trent always goes inside. But then you need someone on the line, you know, uh, wide uh, to get to receive the ball from him. Uh, you know, this is probably much too detailed for a podcast, but um, it, 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 everything has to do with each other. You know, you, if you want to look at the performance of one player, you need to look at it and in the context of, of everyone else. And, and we... Uh, seem to lack that uh, sometimes in debates. We want to be it uh, black and white and and, and not nuanced. I, I think Trent has really suffered from the debate that you know the the, the manager of the England team has. Um, you know he, he didn't actually talk a lot about it, but you know just by making a debate about whether he's good enough to be the the, the England right back, he I, I think he 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 suffers from. You know, he, he he lacks self-confidence uh, with his uh, with his defensive role, and sometimes he tries to take more responsibilities than he should, and it shows. You know, this is not his best season. No, not you know uh, by a long shot. But um, I think um, our team would be best served if he uh, keeps playing that uh, the same role that he did. Uh, you know, the the right-sided uh, um, playmaker role. Yeah, I get where you're coming from, Jay. You're you're kind of of the persuasion of why not? Let's just throw them in there, see what happens, and then I suppose the question for me is, and this is an interesting question. I don't think anybody's really thought of. What do you do if he is really good at it? You buy a right back. But like, I'm like, what sort of right back do you sign? What sort of right back do you sign that doesn't make us have to significantly change how we currently play? You're buying Andy Robertson, which is probably defensively more proficient, but can also give you an attacking threat. You know, I, I, I'm of the persuasion where, like, yeah, this season has been an absolute write-off, so let's prepare for next season now. Let's let's try something different. Like, we have keep going to the same 4-3-3 and it's just not working we've mentioned earlier on like we get up for the big games and that's it um but you but know that shows they... it, but that shows that shows for me that structurally it can work i'm very but then we, we you know that's because we're probably playing better teams and we might get more space or time you know what i mean where you know we, we can work on the counter and stuff where you know Bournemouth, for example, we struggle to break them down. Like, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've got to try and find something else. So, you know, Trent, we've mentioned it loads of times, he is probably one of the best passers of the ball, one of the most creative. So, would you not put him in a position to be more involved? Would you not maybe go three at the back and you get more ball-playing people fair up the field? Um, you know, I, I just think... You know, we've mentioned, and let's not mention his name, but the person who plays the right side, the centre midfield, 
isn't exactly the player he was. And I think that is not being harsh on anyone. I think everyone would be open to admit that. He just can't do what he used to do. And we're not getting much in terms of creativity, and that is nominally the role in our midfield. At the moment, it seems designed for for creating the one that means, you know, you, you get forward and you help out with the attack, and normally the the six on the left side of midfield is the one that maybe sits in and, you know, tries to be on ball just a bit more safe. So why not put the creative lad in there? And at the same time, it might just also help that Gomez is naturally on his day <laughs> a better defender because we we can all admit that he's not at, at the best of times. But against Chelsea, he was pretty solid. I fought at right back and, you know, we kept a clean sheet by one way or another, but we did. So you, you may be, you know, securing one bolt at the back by being a little bit more defensively solid. You can transition to a three at the back if Andy Robertson wants to push on. You know, that gives you that option. Or you could just sit with a, a flat back four in, in some games. Um, I'm just of the opinion where right now, not a lot is going right for us. He's clearly got the ability technically to play in there. So why not just give it a try? Like we would look the whole lot of a better team on Sunday where he did go more into midfield. And yeah, but always correct. He does play a lot of his natural position within there. But I just think, why aren't we just trying to secure the back door a little bit? Because we're shipping goals. And quite often the goals come down that side of the pitch because, as I said before, the right side of midfielder will end up pressing the opposition goalkeeper. Any decent team will dink the ball over his head. Mo Salah's pushed up the pitch and then Trent's left two on one more often than not, half a dozen times in the game. And that is where teams are targeting us. And yeah, the media narrative spun by Sky and all the cronies and then the England manager have made it out that Trent is this absolute gob- gobshite awful player. He's obviously not. But he's under the microscope constantly. And when he's 2v1 all the time, then he is going to get goals against him. It, it, it just seems like we're cutting our nose off to spice our face. And in this season, when we've but, not but really got much to pay Jay, for, go for it. Jay, if, if any player's 2v1 all the time, it's, is that not going to be the outcome? Well, why not? Like, you don't know what Trent's going to do in that right side of the role. He's, he is naturally more athletic than Jordan Henderson. Like, let's be honest. He's going to be able to get around the pitch a bit more. So if he is choosing to press the opposition keeper, the chances are he might be able to get back a little bit faster and help out Gomez. Or he might be more able to understand the role better. I don't know. But I just think, why not give it a go? Because we've got nothing to lose this season. Fair if enough. it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And at least we know... And we can say, yeah, you were on about his, his pressability the other day. And if he gets caught out on the ball and he's constantly caught in possession, you say, right, well, he's no good with his back to goal. He needs to be facing and seeing the play. And then at least that, that's then put to bed rather than gamble it in a season when we might be challenging for something. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to say I see your point, but I absolutely don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's new? I know, I know, I know. All right. Um, let me see. Um, Andy, the, the 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 Twitter explosion last night um, as we're recording. Um, Liverpool have stepped away from the pursuit of Jude Bellingham. 
now everybody's lost their minds talking about now trying to sign Shuameni again off Madrid um, after we didn't get him last year. Not really sure what this is all about, but it just, it's so deliberate from FSG. Um, apparently there, um, there were embargoes out that, you know, this could only be released, released by the multiple outlets that they, they leaked the information to at the same time. Um, and I suppose there can this can be viewed in a number of different ways. For me, the there's two things that FSC have done um, with leaks of information like this. It's first of all to man, to manage the supporters' expectations. Uh, we won't sign anybody. We won't pay any money. We won't be making any transfers this summer. Blah blah blah. Um, and we've seen that sort of stuff leaked early, early on. And then we've also seen that transpire as the outcome. Fine, that's what they say they're going to do. But then we've also seen Liverpool have ended uh, their pursuit of um, Roman goalkeeper Allison, or. Um, Liverpool have agreed that they will not uh, speak to Southampton or pursue the transfer of Virgil van Dijk any longer. And then bam and bam, it's done. And this all feels, of, it's it's very staged and very, um, I don't know, deliberate, I guess. And I just wonder, what is what do you think the motivation is behind this sort of press release? Oh man, it's so long to the end of August. Like, this transfer stuff's just going to be so exhausting, isn't it, for the next four months? We know we are definitely looking at two slash three midfielders. For me, like Bellingham or not, that has to be three. Ideally, you you get sort of Bellingham and then one kind of more attacking player and one sort of more defensive player as well. Um, yeah, you can speak like you can speculate on. The, um, the the thinking behind releasing this Bellingham stuff. So, uh, you know, at the same time, at the time we've done, it could be a ploy to drive the price down. You know, we do know we have a budget. It's not unlimited spending the way Newcastle and Man City can do. We're not owned by a state. We can have the debate over whether that budget should be stringent given the lack of spending over the last few years given that we've got money from winning champions leagues and leagues and every trophy under the sun you know if we have got 200 million to spend and Borussia Dortmund are looking 130 million of that then it does definitely drive down the quality of player you can get in the other two positions you're looking at possibly you know uh Bellingham alongside possibly Connor Gallagher Matthias Nunes rather than maybe like a, a Mount McAllister Caicedo type thing, you know, which one's better. You have to weigh that up. All it takes is Bellingham to be out for six months and your, your two midfield signings are Matthias Nunes and Connor Gallagher. So, you know, they're having to weigh all these things up. Um, and it probably is worth doing just to try and get the price down. It's not going to make a difference to whether we actually go in for him or not. It's not as if we've set our stall out and can't go back on it now. You mentioned all those players, Thiago, it was the exact same. James Pierce coming out saying we're not going to sign Thiago. Nabi Keita, there's a screenshot going around from Sky Sports 
Liverpool end their pursuit of Keita, you know, on top of the ones you've mentioned there. Like, it is a body blow, and the theory is that we've, like we did with Virgil van Dijk, ignored other signings in order to wait for our man. And what people are saying, and we also don't actually know if this is the case or not, but it seems as though we've waited two years to get our man um, and not even gotten our man. You know, so that's before you even talk about what could have potentially been won this season. Could we be in the Champions League for next season if we'd signed a couple of middle-of-the-road midfielders for a few extra legs? But then to, to not actually get your man, you know, would be criminal. We'll just have to see. I know it sounds boring, but we have to assess this in the summer when we get the three midfielders um, who we need. There's some players in there, if you mentioned over the last couple of days, which I'm not particularly enamoured by, Matthias Nunes being one. Um, but I think you love him. <laughs> I think he's so shite. Some um, goalie scored at the weekend. I know it was, yeah. I was you were raging, weren't you? Furious. Yeah, I was, yeah. Through the through the laptop out the window, but um, you know I like Mason Mount. I don't think he can be the marquee signing of the three. I'd like him to be kind of the second best of the three. I think that would be a really really good second best of the three. I don't even mind Connor Gallagher at all. He's impressed me at times, especially when he was at Crystal Palace. Um, I like Casado. I like McAllister. I like the wee lad Lavia at Southampton. I'm sure people are talking about him, but that could be a good little sort of Wijnaldum. Shakiri-esque signing on the cheat from a relegated club. So we'll have to see. Three midfielders, um, you know, would be nice as long as one of them isn't Matthias Nunes. I'm prepared to give to give anyone a chance next season. <laughs> yeah, Chief. Um, Andy throws a couple of scenarios out there, but what one phrase he does mention is, you know, Mason Mount can't be the marquee signing, and and for me. The situation that we're in now and how we've seen the midfield deteriorate, etc. It does feel like we need a, a Virgil van Dijk, Allison sort of sign. There's a massive issue in an area of the pitch that we feel will solve the, the rest of the minor deficiencies that we have, you know. There's one glaring issue that needs to be addressed and how we're going to do that is by signing the best on the market. And no matter what you say about the price of Jude Bellingham, he is on the market right now. But I know Andy's talking about, you know, do we get Bellingham another one or does it mean the price that we're going to have to pay? We're going to maybe get three for 200 million instead of two for 200 million. I get that thinking, but I also feel like this needs to be statement, both in stature and in, you know, player profile. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the release, the press release and all, it's, it's all a bit mad. Uh, it doesn't make any any real sense. So, uh, yeah, the fact that it's given in, in, in April, uh, as Andy says, you know, transfer window doesn't close to the end of August. So it's gonna it's gonna run and run and run. It could well be a bargaining position. It, it probably is. Um yeah you're right. We, we we you know we should go out and make the Bellingham signing. And I don't think you can turn away because of the price at this point. And I don't think they will because surely there isn't a, a price point that's gonna that's gonna you know um it's gonna shock them. 
you know, they, they, they're well aware. They've tracked him for how long. They're well aware of his quality. They're well aware how well he performed at the World Cup, uh, how highly Dortmund prize him, all the rest of it, the, the options that he has, um, the choice of clubs that he, he could go to. So I don't think that that's really um, going to be a, a legitimate gripe at any point. You know, if you're willing to spend 120 million, why not 140? You know, um, so it is where it is on on that one. Um, in terms of you know the names that have been bandied about, the Caicedo's, McAllisters, uh, <laughs> Andy's favourite uh, at Wolves. Um, they're they're all the, the names you'd expect, aren't they? I mean, somebody said earlier Telemans has been thrown in there, um, despite the fact he's been he's been available for a long, long time, and we've not really gone near him. Um, yeah, so, we haven't signed a player from a relegated club in a while, though. So maybe we should get back to that. Yeah, yeah, Labby is an interesting one that that Andy mentioned. I saw him the other the other day. Look, he looked really handy. Um, Telemans, I don't know. It's is is. I mean, I know the entirety of, of Leicester's star has sort of uh, fallen, but um, his sort of began to fall earlier than, than most. He's he's been on the wane for a couple of seasons. Whether that's just motivation, boredom, wanting to get out of the club, or you know, he's he's also one who's played a, a lot of football for a twenty-seven year old, twenty-six year old. Um, so maybe he's he's just a bit burnt out. But my point is here: there, it's 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 not very Liverpool, is it, to have a you know a list of very very well known targets that are, yeah, and and all the clubs um, that own these these players are braced for for Liverpool's offer, and you know if 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 that were the case, we'd be we'd have painted ourselves basically into into a corner. So no, for me, it's braced for what offer? 40, 40 quid in a toffee crisp. Well, well, exactly. So, but whatever you would offer, that's given, far too much for Matthias Nunes. Given that the targets are so, <laughs> you know, you at least at least want uh, you know a double decker uh, on top of that. that, that <laughs> but um, but ultimately, it, it's it's all just bullshit. We'll end up. We we could well sign Bellingham and two midfielders that have not been mentioned at all. Um, so. Ultimately, who who knows what's going to happen? I think we do need a, a statement signing. I think we should go and sign Bellingham, and I would like to think that if we were a well-run club as as we have been over the last few years, that would actually be be sort of be sort of boxed, and we're just really haggling, haggling at you know uh, perhaps over over a price or or even over a uh, a date as to when we can we can get this done. Um, that's the only thing I can see causing a problem is that this might drag on and drag on too long but again ultimately if you've been chasing this guy for three years then what's another couple of months um if you really want them that badly so yeah um we we do need that big signing but ultimately we need we need quality in there um and we need we need bodies so whether it's two and you know two two players for 200 million and, and one on a free or, or three players at, at 60 million each or, or whatever it is, however the money is spent, it's got to be spent wisely and because that is some 
it's a major, major rebuild we need in there. We need a, a brand spank and new midfield, you know, and, and we hope that the likes of perhaps Thiago and Fabinho get a chance to recapture their, their form. But uh, a lot of the midfield we have at the moment uh, or haven't had for most of the season is, is simply not going for one reason or another, not really going to be there, not going to be called upon. So it's it's huge the job in there. Yeah, they're all it's just the, the last thing that we I really have to say in buying them is the again we'll go back to the kind of press scenario around Tiago Van Dyke Allison um, those three specifically and. There are all similarities there in the management of the PR. But the other similarity is that you would seem to maybe feel is that all of those players, I think, made it clear that it was Liverpool that they wanted to go to. And I don't care if anybody else come, comes in with any more money, it's Liverpool I want to go to. And I've seen some some reports around the fact that Bellingham very much wants to go to, he doesn't want to go to like a PSG or a City um, teams like this, he wants to go to somewhere that we all kind of a club that has all the sort of the things that we value, you know, history tradition, you know a, a social conscious morality, whatever you might, whatever you might say um, and I just wonder, is it that we know that Bellingham's number one priority is Liverpool, regardless of what people might say about the season that we're having? And is this approach based on the fact that we know we have our man, it's just a matter of forcing them down as much as we can? Um you know, it, it, it's the hypothesis I, I like most. Uh, it, it, you could say, um, so like like Andy said, like Neil said, it's um, it's it's very strange to to put out this this uh, this message. We've you know, we, we start to pursue for this player um, and to do this in April. It's, you know, it's odd. Um, so they they clearly feel, felt the need to, to to put out that message, but it's a signal. But f- for whom? That uh, you know, we, we might not know. Maybe you know. Sometimes things are just as as they seem, um, and uh, they want to, you know, manage the expectations of the of of the of the spectators. Uh, I mean, the fans, the supporters. Um, but. That doesn't seem very likely. I, 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 I would think they would try to, you know, especially in this period that they are not very popular, um, you know, as it is, that they would try to drag uh, that that hope out that we would we might get in this this, uh, and I think he he really is a generational player and who, who you know will improve any team that that he goes to. Um. So yeah, so who who is the signal for? Who is the message for? I'm uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure. And 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 again, I like the hypothesis that uh, the player and his entourage, uh, being his 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 family, his father is his uh, is his agent, I believe, uh, have made their minds up and have have um, uh, told 
Borussia Dortmund that they they want to go to one club only. Um, but uh, Borussia Dortmund trying to, uh, you know, and and rightly so, trying to get every penny out of it. And um, FSG just trying to um, communicate that they won't be uh, coerced into paying money that they don't have. Uh, maybe that's it. And, you know, hopefully that's it. And I would really like to see Jude Bellingham play in a, in our shirt. And in, in I almost wanted to say a red shirt, but, you know, there are other clubs in red that, you know, have uh, tradition, etc. But you know, on the on the other hand, I, I would say if if you can buy two really good players or three really good players, maybe even for the uh, the money that you would only get uh, one Jude Bellingham for, then maybe that's the more rational choice that you you would have. Um, I actually agree agree with Andy uh, uh, on Matthias Nunez. I haven't seen anything that would um, justify the. You know, it, it, and after he went to Wolverhampton, I thought, okay, this is the end of it. But no, it it keeps dragging on. Um, I, I don't agree on Mason Mount and on Conor Gallagher. I, I you know, Mason Mount is an okay player, but I, I don't think uh, the money that uh, yeah has been, um, you know, we don't know, of course. But you know, the speculation about the money that he it would take to get him in, I, I really don't think that's uh, that would be a wise choice of. Uh, of use of our resources, and Conor Gallagher, I, I, you know, I think I think the same story applies there. If you want uh, English players or players with a with a British passport, then you know there are uh, other options available for you know less money. I would say, but uh, you know the, the Brighton kids, yeah, let's let's get them in. Maybe I, I don't know, but uh, I hope for Jude Bellingham. Uh, I don't dare to hope for it. Can I jump in quickly, Dave, on your point around um, like the idea that he is number one priority of Liverpool? Like, by how much of an extent is his number one priority going to be Liverpool? Like, is he really going to fucking force through a move to this current Liverpool side? That's my issue, and I've always put to the back of my mind this idea because people are going on, why would he join Liverpool? Why would he join Liverpool? You know, like your your usual suspects in the media, your Richard Keyses and your your Andy Grace, you know, your numb nuts of the world throwing out that shout. But where that shout does come pertinent is, is you know, there's one thing, us being his preference, there's another thing, is he going to sit tight and say no to these sort of 400, 500 grand a week things? And I know what you're saying. I only caught the last part of what you were saying, Dave, about um, him coming to a club with history. I presume you're talking about that video that's circling around at the minute where he does the interview with Dortmund where he says, I want to join a club where it means something to the fans, it means something to the city. But I'm I'm just not sure that he's gonna like literally force it through. I minute. don't know. I feel like I feel like there's a couple of ways to look at this. Um, he doesn't come across, and this is this is probably the worst of my points. Doesn't come across as um, that the best deal. He a money grabbing bastard. Basically, yes. Basically, yeah. You know. Um, it does feel like you value certain elements of this of this sport um, that a lot of younger players and certainly a younger generation of supporters don't seem to grasp, and that maybe comes from his grounding at Burnham City and how you know he's. Like, I think 
He left her when he was about 12 in the retarded shirt. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely m- mad. But he'll still go back there. You know, I, I've seen videos of him going back when he's when he's been in England, going to watch Birmingham. So I think that kind of club that has that's ingrained in its in its in its city, it matters to him. I also feel like Does that sorry, Newcastle dark horses in. Well, do you know what? Maybe, but again, from what I hear, it's that sort of. Um, Thing that we talk about, like it's almost like he's forty. That here's, here's the other thing as well. Like from Dortmund's negotiating point of view, he's got two years left on his contract. They don't actually have to accept a bid for him this summer. No, they you know, don't. He, but they know. He, they know they'll lose he, more next summer. Okay, they know that. But it's like, if he is saying to them, and they're coming through with offers, Real Madrid have offered 150 million, City have offered 160 million, blah blah, and he said, no, 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 I want Liverpool, I want Liverpool. And Liverpool continue to be minge bags about it. Like Dortmund could just put the foot down and say they, they okay, could. So we're, we're not accepting this offer. And if it me, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like just from a going forward point of view for them, showing that they're not going to be hardballed in, in the transfer market. No, possibly. that's that's totally fair. But I think from Liverpool's standpoint, they will think that's okay, fine. If you want to let it go another year, because we know he's not going to say yes to anybody else, um, you're going to lose. You're costing yourself 40, 50 million pounds because he'd be in the last year of his contract. This and is if you the want... year to sell him. This is the year to sell him. He's yeah, it totally. Exactly. And that's exactly the point. Banging World Cup. His value is at its highest. He's got two years left on his contract. This is the year for them to, to yeah. really cash in. And they're totally. preparing for it. The, you know, the question is. And it's completely within their, their business model. Yeah, but it, it, this is—it's just gone. This is just this hasn't put anything to bed. This statement, no. things I don't are just so. on and on and on. Like, yeah. So let me just to, just to finish off my point. The other, the other two aspects are that he's what nineteen. Is that what he, he's nineteen? Isn't he? Yeah. Um, this is not. You know, this is not. Um his final move if you will if he wanted to be it's he has now or never dave now or never yeah do you know what i mean he's, he's, he's not least... he's not 19 forever <laughs> he's 10 he's 10 years at minimum left you know he can do yeah, five but... years somewhere oh, think... and then at 25 26 he is the pick of anywhere he wants to go in the world yeah, at that the you know the so there you are he has the fact that he knows Klopp's going to be there for another three years yes let's go and work for him and there's also the aspect that I kind of feel like he, I kind of feel like he wants to be the talisman. I kind of feel like he looks at Liverpool and thinks, "I'm going to be the boy. I'm going to be Virgil Van Dijk." He wants to be want Stevie Gerrard. Yeah, but but even like when Van Dijk comes in and he elevates the team, do you know? I feel he's looking at that going, "I want to be that guy. I want to be looked upon as the way Van Dijk's been looked upon." And Gerrard again, yes, similar, different because, you know. It's He's a, a local boy. Yeah, a local boy, and, and there's a different circumstance behind I think, it. though, you've just made a good point that I don't think it's even been touched on anywhere, really, is the fact that he's 19, and FSG, their operation model of, you know, money ball, sell to buy, whatever you want to call it, he is perfect for it. In the, exactly. He, he should be, they should be falling over themselves to get him, because... If you get five years out of him and then you flog him at 25, 26, okay, 
like it's not ideal because he may be coming to his prime, but you're also you're not going to lose on him. And maybe just maybe look at players who've come through at such a young age. You know, Wayne Rooney being the classic example, he was done by 27, 28. And I'm not saying you know Wayne Rooney and Jude Bellingham in terms of physique and lifestyle probably live a completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but. You know, it could potentially be that just that many miles on the clock at the age of 26, you might have just seen the best of them. You know, like maybe a good you, example. You I'll, a good example. I made. My dad's a fucking City fan. God, don't, don't even ask me, right? Um, but when City signed Raheem Sterling for 50 million pounds, it was apoplectic. Can't believe absurd amount of money for your man there. And I was like, you get five years out of him, six years out of him at fifty million pounds and, and you won't lose money. And he'll be and he'll be brilliant because he's only going to get better. And there you are. They sold him for fifty million pounds a year left in his contract. Do you know? And what did they get out of him? What did they win with him? So it is that sort of scenario. You're absolutely right. I um, I think this is all like just my tempens with. I think it's all past the dance. So I I don't think you know, as Andy said, it, it's going to rumble on and on and on. There was, you know, loose reports that we put a bid in. And I think, you know, the way Liverpool have operated in the past, if they're going back to it, they don't want the the, 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 the phrase, you don't want your, your dirty laundry here in public, do you? So the fact that if we have put a bid in or an official bid or whatever, and it's being put out there, you know, like we, we don't want to be seen to be, you know, doing that if it is going to get done it's going to be a huge transfer i i still think it probably will for us that it does get done but it's going to be done in in the background it's going to like they don't want this all out in the public eye and for what it's worth from dortmund's point of view they're still in a title fight in in germany and it's been a while since they've been this far into the season still fighting with bayern munich so they're not going to admit that their star player is on the way when they've still got what half a dozen games left to go and a potential title to win, you know, f- for us, like our season's pretty much done. But for them, you know, last year they were out the title race, and all of a sudden Haaland was basically off the city and everything was done and dusted. You know, you've seen it in the past with other players, like once they're out of the race for the Champions League and the title, then it, they're quite happily and open to admit that players can go. But I just don't think you're going to hear the end of it until the season's over and, you know, trophies have been handed out, unfortunately, not in our direction this year. But for Dortmund, why would they jeopardise themselves and have their star man be on the move? And all it is is, like, you know, a farewell tour and all of a sudden his eyes are drawn elsewhere and the team's focus is then taken off the potential league title. Fair point. Yeah, but, no, it, but, but it, it's all can fair. I, can I add something? Uh, 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 just one devil's advocate perspective. Um, what if you know you, what you were saying about him being 19, and uh, um, you know even if you give him a massive contract for five, six years, you know amortization, etc. Um, you you won't lose anything on it if you uh, sell him, and you know when he's 24. Um, the problem is, of course, that. Um, he and his management also know this and maybe he wants massive wages and that would disturb the balance that we have uh, right now in, uh, you know, in, I in, do in want, the dressing room. I, I, I've, I've got this point, but I, I think for someone with Jude Bellingham's profile, 
And given the situation that the team is in right now, I don't think that anybody would look at that and say to themselves, I should be getting more. Do you know what I mean? Salah's just signed yeah, a new deal. Yeah, would Mo say, uh, okay. But he's ju- literally just signed a new deal, you know? Yeah, and now and now this kid comes in and earns double what he earns. And this kid, and he might look at that kid and go, do you know what? He's my, he's my way home to yeah, okay. three or four more trophies. So... Is that Let's where we've ha- hamstrung ourselves slightly with our, our wage structure? Like, it's all well and good until you get to the point where you're challenging for leagues and European Cups every year and the players that you should be in for signing are already on, like, 300, 400 grand a week. And, like, the, the thing that stops me think, thinking Chumani could come is that, like, he's surely on 300 grand plus a week at Real Madrid. You know what I mean? Yeah, he might be. He might well be. But, you know, Bellingham definitely isn't at, at Dortmund. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But, but you know, like, that, so that rules us, I, automatically rules us out of too many. I think the way we signed Bellingham is that if, if money's not the key factor, which yeah. is what I was saying yeah, earlier on, do you know what I mean? But, but, but my point why. is, like, right. say say Real Madrid are letting too many go this summer, all of a sudden we're ruled out if he's in 350 grand a week already. Well, we are. Yeah, we're, we're, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose we okay, are. Okay, so that. listen, let's let's just let's just start to wrap things up. I'm gonna go round. Um I'm gonna go around the, the the four of you. Um I'm gonna read out, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine names of players I've seen us linked with. Um and if you have any other names that I haven't called out, then please feel free to use them. But I want two answers from you. Um, player you think we you are most likely to sign and player that you would like to sign the most. And I'm excluding Bellingham from this conversation. So I'm going Alexis McAllister, Mason Mount, um, whatever your man's first name is. Gravenberch, is that right, Beryl? Yeah, Gravenberg. Gravenberg. So no, it wasn't right. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't right. Yes, it was right, but here's yeah. what, how you actually say it. Ryan. Ryan's his first name, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's call him Ryan. <laughs> yeah, we've got, that's, that's much easier. Um, Saicedo, <laughs> uh, Paulinha, who is like about 28. Um, Andy's mate, um, Nunez, Barella, Shuameni, Connor Gallagher and Yuri Telemans. So, Andy, who would you most want out of that list, and who do you think we're most likely to sign out of that list? Um, I've done like the couple of times I've watched Graven Gravenberg. I think he's been <laughs> he's he's looked pretty amazing, but then nobody wants him now. Apparently, he's been crap since he's gone. Um, is a bit of an attitude. He's a bit like your man. He's a bit like your man, Renato Sanchez, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I, you know, stylistically, I would, I would, um, you know, it's it's a bit like a Rodri, but a lot younger and a lot more lethargic and uh, and conceited, etc. Is is so, there an so be with that? that I, I right, right. He's so who would I, who would I want to sign from that? Um, either. Oh, so who would I want to sign from that? Too many. If 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 I'm allowed, too okay. many. Yeah, but definitely my number one. My number two would probably be no, who, no, no, no. Who do you want, and who would you, who do you think will sign? I think we'll sign Mount. Okay. On that list, I would go Chimeni, 
Caicedo, Alexis McAllister, Mount, Gravenberg, so much for two. Barella. This is absolute madness that you have Barella then, like six on that list. It's absolutely outrageous. Halinho, no, Gallagher. This Halinho, is supposed to be a quick Elements, uh, a traffic cone, Matthias Nunes. <laughs> that was a, that, all of that was just to get that in at the what, end, wasn't just it? Just for the traffic. No, I thought yes. about that quip last minute. It's, yeah, sure you did. Did you right. win the lottery, man? Uh, Chief, you're two. Who do you think will sign? Who would you want to sign? Well, from that list, only yeah, only really too many you'd want to sign, really. Um, who do I think will sign? Well, there's been a lot of noise about, about grabbing Bear, so perhaps him. Okay, all right. Beryl? And if there's any other names out there I haven't mentioned, please feel free to, feel free to throw them in. I think we're in. definitely going to sign complete randomer as well like someone we've never thought of that's never come up <laughs> some some latvian second division player god knows but there will be we'll find we'll find someone you know i i, I would encourage that but uh you know um um i really don't want grafenberg if if he's not good enough for for uh bayern then he's not good enough for us i i think we I hope we uh, sign Caicedo because I think one of the biggest weaknesses we had was, you know, Fabinho falling off. Uh, I don't know what cliff, but um, and our defense not having any screening whatsoever. And I think he could do that. Um, and I want to throw in uh, a wild card, which is uh, the, the captain of uh, Feyenoord. Uh, playing against As Roma tomorrow, so you can watch him. Is Olkun Kukcu. Um and he won't like him because he's Turkish. But uh, uh, <laughs> come on! <laughs> oh, you Turkish racist! He's twenty-two years old. He is. Uh, uh, he's the captain of uh, Feyenoord. He has been playing non-stop for for two or three years, and he he is a monster in midfield. You know, n- not very big, but technically very gifted and uh you know an engine on him so i i, I think i would like him at at, uh, at liverpool okay barrel giving us some local knowledge there i like it jay same to you uh i say those i want to sign fuck you many he, he rejected us so you know well you can don't you can do one um and i don't think we to sell them anyway like he's He's the he's the future become a finger as much as to say he's not getting in the team at the moment. Modric is eventually going to retire, Cruz will eventually go to America, and you know they, that's the natural replacement. So I think that's all just fantasy and quick cliff based from the, uh, the press. Um, who do I think we'll sign? I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with like Jordi Tielmans because he'll get injured and he's got concrete wellies on his feet. Um, but I'll go with if if Pep Linders is still sticking around, it'll probably be that team Coop Miners, you know, because you know he's got an obsession with Dutch players. Um, but I'll go with Manu Kone from Gladbach. Oh, okay, all right. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'd love to sign Barella. I just think he's absolutely amazing. Um. Yeah, Italian midfielders in the Premier League. I know, I know, but I d- genuinely think he has it all. Um, 
on that left hand side, that left hand side, that Wijnaldum position, I just think he'd be absolutely perfect for it. But I think we will sign Mason Mount. I just think that's got legs, and I think it's just too, too easy, too easy. Yeah, but that's it. I think I do think that's the answer. Um, and I think if you sign Mason Mount, you rule out like your Gallagher's and your Tillemans and your you know McAllisters and boys like this because that is the Jordan Henderson position, really, isn't it? Um, so that them all in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> anything, anything but see Jordan Henderson play. Cut the pod, cut the pod. Oh dear, right. Okay, lads, listen, thanks for joining me. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. We might be good, we might be shit, we're not really sure. Um, it might be legs, it might be hard, it might be motivation, we're not really sure. We might sign Jude Bellium, we might sign, sign fucking Kivy Vivalishly from the Latvian second division. Um, the place experts next year. So let's all look forward to that. Until next time, up there, we have no fucking idea what we're doing or who we are, Reds. <laughs>